Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, Pit fans? Welcome back to another Pit Mailbag here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network. He is Chris Carter. I'm Noah Hiles. Carter, Two weeks into the books, much different vibe as uh, we head into week three based on how Pitt played last weekend, a 27-21 loss to Cincinnati in non-conference play. It was a close game by score. It came down to the wire, but it's probably about as ugly as a feeling one can have from a six-point loss, I think. It, It was just a very displeasing loss. Would you agree with that? Uh, I'd agree with it. It was was very ugly. You know, I I think especially because Pitt realizes it left so much on the table. And, you know, Pat Narduzzi said this in the Monday press conference. You know, he talked about how, like, you know, they if they do so many different things the right way, they win that game. And and he's right. You know, if Phil Dracovic doesn't fumble in the second half, they might win that game. If the run defense doesn't just play an utterly terrible first half, they definitely win that game if uh they connect on one of those deep balls they win that game there was so much that they could have done right and just didn't and i think that's what makes it so frustrating is that like you had it right there in front of you and if they pull that win out you're like okay whew, that was close but what do you work on for next week now you're one-on-one and you've kind of already given up that loss we talked about how like they could lose one to a team that they shouldn't lose to but now they've already lost it so they don't have a margin for error until maybe they play like north carolina florida state notre dame and those teams we're going to talk more about that uh, with when we get into our questions. But before we do, uh, we need to talk about this show's presenting sponsor, sponsor, which is Mike's Beer Bar. We'll tell you all about them right now. Whether if you're in town for a Steelers, Pirates, or Pitt game, Mike's Beer Bar is right across the street from PNC Park and has the best selection of beer in town as well as amazing food options. They have over 20 TVs. And you can catch all of your NFL, college football, Pirates, Penguins, Riverhounds, and Premier League action right at Mike's. Come on in and try one of their 500 different available beers, 300 of them being local craft beers, as well as their 80 different local craft beers available on tap. You can also get a flight to try out every option you can dream of. And trust me, you won't run out of favorites because I never do. And I'm always there. Try their steak on a stone for an awesome meal where you can choose how hot you want your steak uh, cooked with a heated stone right in front of you as you enjoy a night out in Pittsburgh. Come on down to Mike's Beer Bar and get your sports fix and and an experience of one of the best bars in the city. So, Chris, it's time to get into questions. And ironically enough, we got this question from Chris, and you kind of talked about it um, with just your initial takeaway from that loss, but I think it also poses kind of a different question. It says, two weeks, two different results for Pitt. Have the results changed your perspective of this team in a drastic way? Um, 
I'll start with this because you you kind of alluded to yeah. it how you think it kind of impacts the road, but there's more of an answer to give to this specific question. And I don't know if it changed my perspective on the team. I think it kind of highlights what we've been saying all along. And, I, and I've seen some people in the comments for the Post-Gazette's comment section saying, you know, that we, we hyped this team up and, and, and we, we said they're going to be a lot better than what they are. And there's two things that I'd like to say in response to that. One, Pitt's played two games this year. So you can't really judge how this team's going to be either way because they've, they lost early in the 2021 season to Western Michigan. And I think that that season turned out just fine. Now, on the other end of things, this could also indicate that this team is going to be bad this year because they did not play well at all Saturday. Um, but I think consistently both of us have said this team's going to go as far as Phil Dracovic will take it. I think we said, you know, there are a lot of questions with the skill players, with replacing all of that talent on the defensive line, with replacing two safeties who are in the NFL now. Um, and those questions still haven't been answered one way or another. I'm not writing anyone off, including the quarterback, who, again, did not look very good Saturday. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think my perspective remains the same on the, on the note of if this team has a quarterback that can make a couple of big throws when it's needed, they're going to be able to win football games. The defense was good enough to put this team in a position, despite allowing all those rushing yards, and despite trailing by at one point 20 points, the defense put itself and it put this team in a position to win the football game. It got two huge stops in the fourth quarter, one of them giving the, the team the football inside Cincinnati territory. And they just didn't get it done. And granted, if they missed a field, if they didn't miss that field goal or whatever. But the offense had a chance to, to drive down the field and win that game, which is what any offense would ask for in a tight game in the fourth quarter. And they had two of those chances, and they didn't capitalize. So I don't think my perspective has changed drastically yet because, you know, we'll, we'll find out on, on, on Phil and the offense. But this is exactly kind of what I thought the team would be right now is it's going to have a defense that's good enough to win games, and it's just going to come down to can the quarterback and the offense capitalize. Yeah, I think there's there's still a lot to, a lot of football to be played this year. I, I look at this and think that you know certainly if you had questions about uh, about a lot of different parts of Pitt's team, you probably got you probably got validated in having those questions about Pitt's team. You know, one thing that we saw all through camp and that we heard about all through camp was their big playability, and it really didn't manifest in this game. Eleven shots to above Bob means, and none of them came true. You know, there's a lot of things there. And then, you know, the run defense, they fixed it in the second half. But was that a fix or was that just temporarily they figured something out in Cincinnati, you know, kind of couldn't just get things going? We'll find out because West Virginia ran the ball all over them uh, last year uh, and they were able to still find a win in that one. Can they limit that this year uh, now, now that they'll be in week three and playing them? There's a lot of things that are still there. Uh, but certainly I don't think it's changed my perspective of this, but it certainly has challenged uh, where I think, okay, the, now we know where certain limits are for for at least this early part of the season, and it's just going to be gonna be to see who you know who pushes the most, who gets the who gets the most out of out of next week, and see who grows the most here. Because, like we've said, there's a lot of players who are candidates to be breakouts, but they need those players to break out for this roster to be good. Yeah, and I, I, I'm willing to give Pitt one bad game. I mean, that's that's sure. going to happen. And they're not on a level of Georgia or 
Ohio State or Michigan where the expectation should be perfection every season. They're, they're going to lose one game and it's going to look ugly. That's just the reality of the situation for Pitt. And they might lose the teams that they're that are better than them as well. But A, we don't know how good Cincinnati is because it's a brand new team with a brand new head coach, a whole bunch of transfer portable guys. Um, and we don't know how good Pitt is yet. So we could look back at the Cincinnati loss in a month or two and think, wow, you know, they ended up losing to a pretty good team. Kind of how we looked at the Tennessee loss last year where yeah. that's actually a good loss. And if Pitt could have won, that would have been a really good boost to its resume. Or we could look back on it and say, man, they really let that game go to a team that's not good. So I just think it's too early to judge, but like kind of Carter alluded to, we'll have more solid feelings after this Saturday because, you know, if, if Cincinnati's your worst loss on the year, then you're probably not that bad of a team. But if you lose back-to-back Cincinnati and West Virginia, your, your first two contests against legitimate competition, now there's a legitimate problem and this team is certainly underperforming. So. Certainly. Chris hit on this next one, so uh, we're just going to go into it right now. Eileen wants to know. It, it, she says, it looked like Phil and Bub met in the parking lot five minutes before the game. How could they be that out of sync? <laughs> okay, I, 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 but wait a minute. But what if Phil and Bub met in the parking lot and they were like, hey, let's go. How would that conversation go, Noah? I don't know. I don't have the energy to even assume. <laughs> um but on Eileen's question, yeah, I, I, I think that, that that more than anything, I think was the most concerning thing for me I, out of all the takeaways. And you could point out like the offensive line stuff. The offensive line looked bad at the beginning of last year, too, and mm-hmm. it fixed itself. The defense, the run defense, the, people were running the ball on pit early last season. Tennessee did and West Virginia did. But they fixed that stuff. This connection with Dracovic and, and Means is concerning because Means was supposed to be the breakout playmaker on offense this year. And we, t- we talked a lot about how the tight end was going to be utilized more and how Kanate Mumfield had high expectations and everything. But Bub Means was the guy they trotted out in front of all of us all spring, all yep. summer. Uh, this guy is going to be different. In year six, he finally figured it out, and he's just this athletic freak. And, and I, don't, I don't care – how you're covered, I don't care what's going on. If you're the best playmaker on an offense, if you're one of these talented guys that you're, you, everyone claims you are, you can't be held without a catch. You just can't be, especially when you're targeted 11 times. That falls on Phil a lot, but it also falls on Bub Means. It, it's on both of them. I have no idea how they can be that out of sync because, like Phil said, the throws that he made, they were called for. He wasn't forcing the ball to him. They were, they were Cincinnati's coverage left them susceptible to fades and go balls. Yep. And those are the throws you're supposed to make in those situations. And Bub Means is supposed to be the player you throw the ball to on those routes. But you, you got to, you got to execute. And two games in after all this talk, we just still haven't seen it. We didn't see it against Wofford and we definitely didn't get to see it against Cincinnati. So I don't have an answer for you, Eileen, but I do think that's a problem. And I think that you can point to that as where Phil, and we're going to talk a lot about Phil today. You can point to that as where Phil looked the ugliest of of everything uh, Saturday evening. The worst he looks on film is when he's trying to throw the ball to Bub Memes right now. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that's not me blaming Bub specifically. That's not me blaming Phil specifically. That's me blaming the both of them. That problem has to be fixed. Yeah, especially with this offense. You know, from what I understand, this a big part of this offense was that the passing, the the deep passing game, or, or just the passing game period was supposed to open up the run a little bit more, make it easier for this O line to get things going, uh, and, and it didn't. And so then they were playing from behind. They had kind of had to force things. Uh, I mean, again, 10 of 32, that's a completion percentage of almost 30% right there. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at that and you're thinking like, man, like what, what, you know, what do you have to do to get back in sync? You know, a part of it could just be, you know, if they connect on the first one, maybe they connect on a bunch more because momentum is built that way. Football is a game like that where, you know, one thing can lead to so many other dominoes flipping in your direction. But Phil Jacobic's got to, got to go back work with work with his guys especially bub get in get in rhythm do some throw some extra packs, passes after practice work on different routes do whatever they can to get their timing in sync because it was not in sync against cincinnati theo wants to know uh why wasn't narduzzi and staff prepared for cincinnati he and his dc have no clue how to stop a running quarterback okay um mm. i i guess you can say that They've struggled in the past. Like, they've lost to Malik Cunningham. They, they lost to Hendon Hooker last year. But here's the thing. I mean, every defense struggles against a running quarterback. No? I mean, that that's typically the, the prototype player in college football it now is a quarterback with mobility. And I guess for that specific s- scheme, when you're bringing pressure and you're playing in man coverage, if you have a quarterback that can evade that pressure – it's going to create opportunities for him to use his leg and get down legs and get downfield if he can get past the blitz. So I guess that's kind of why they have struggled. But I I I don't see Jones's mobility as a determining factor in that game. I think the the struggles came more from just stopping the running back. No, Carter. Yeah, I mean, just just looking at the game, Emory Jones had seventeen yards on the ground. Yeah, I mean that's not. That's not doing something, you know, and even Malik Cunningham, he at least ran for 46 last year when they played him, but he also only completed 10 of 21 passes for 122. I felt like that game was more indicative of Keaton Slovis and the offense stunk in that game. Yeah. Um, but, but either way, I, I don't know if it's not being paired for Emory Jones. I, I agree. It, it was something, and I covered this in my film study. They were the, 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 the front seven was misreading their keys because Cincinnati was missing up their outside and inside zone concepts and they were reading the wrong things. And the second half, when they did understand, oh, that's what they're doing. 
they got back on it and they made the adjustment. And, you know, Pat Narduzzi said they're one of the best second half adjustment teams in the country. And I, I think defensively, they can stake a claim to that because they've made a lot of really good second half adjustments, even in losses like that, where it came through. So I, I don't know if it was, you know, not prepared. It was just they they thought that they, they had been teaching, hey, look out for these things. Their players weren't executing in the moment. They said, OK, we know what they're doing. Let's adjust to it. Now, had Pitt not adjusted to it, that would have showed. Yeah, they they had they had no preparation in place to handle this situation. It's just a situation where the players were making mistakes. The coaches had to bring them off the field and say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. Let's adjust it. And they did adjust it. I think that's something that happens a lot when we deal, when we hear criticism of coaching and people trying to say what coaching didn't do. And certainly, you know, they didn't have them prepared right at the start for what Cincinnati specifically was going to do. But that's a new head coach, a new offensive system. There's a lot to account for there. I wouldn't necessarily say that they weren't prepared to stop a, a running QB. And, yeah. and I, I would say that they I think the coaching was what helped fix the problem in the second half. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that there were some times where I like they did like an RPO and Pitt got burned by it a little bit. But again, like I don't think Jones's mobility was a determining factor in that game at all. Um, move on now to this question from Tom. Uh, why does Pitt struggle to recruit a good quarterback? Uh, why have the last two quarterbacks to come here through the transfer portal been so soft? Um, first off, I don't know if it's fair to call Phil Jacobic <laughs> soft. Uh <laughs> Okay, but second off, didn't he just have Kenny Pickett? Like, well, no, here, here's my thing. I will say, in the last four decades, I think you can maybe claim that Pitt had three good quarterbacks. Okay, how many? How many schools have have good quarterbacks? I mean, it, I mean, but that's it, it. Just feels like for this this specific school, quarterback has been the Achilles heel. You can point to a lot of different times. You could say, yeah, there are certain and, and teams say, you hey. About. Yes, like if they had a quarterback, that this team would have been better. But here's the thing. It's the teams that win that have the quarterback. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty simple. If you have a good quarterback, your team's probably going to be good. Now, how do you get the good quarterbacks there? That's a great question. I, I do think that turnover at offensive coordinator has something to do with it. I mean, but Kenny Pickett had one offensive coordinator recruit him. Then he had another offensive coordinator come in and name him the starter. And then he had a third guy kind of come in for the rest of his career. And then that guy was that guy left as soon as he did. And it's just been a whole bunch of shuffling going on. And that's probably been the only area where they haven't had a lot of continuity in this pit football program is who's running the offense. So that I think makes it a little bit of a challenge to recruit quarterbacks. Um, but I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to find a good quarterback in this sport and, and through both high school recruiting and the transfer portal. But as far as the soft thing wants to go goes, I'll say this. Like, you can have your critiques on what Phil said after the game Saturday, and we'll get into that. We were asked about that. Um, but as far as, like, toughness on the field, granted, he did not play well Saturday at all. It was bad. Uh, but he you can't question his toughness, can you? I mean, he took 21 hits or something like that, and he's always willing to, to run over the middle and, and lower his shoulder down. I think he's a tough guy. I just think he was upset. <laughs> when we asked him about getting booed, which again, we'll get into later. So I don't know about the toughness element in the transfer portal. Things just didn't work out with Slovis. I'm not ready to write off Dracovic one way or the other just yet. I think he deserved more than two games for us to really give him a far judgment. I'd say right now he's not looking great, but he has a lot of time to fix that. 
Um, but as far as quarterback recruiting, look, man, it's it's tough. It's tough to get a good quarterback to come it's to your school. It's tough for everybody. Yeah. I, I want you, if you're listening or watching right now, ask yourself, who is QBU? There's wide receiver used. There's RB used. There's cornerback used. USC. There's the, huh? USC. Who is okay? Who are the great quarterbacks that USC has produced over the last ten? I'm years? saying at the collegiate level, they have a good quarterback pretty much every year. Every year, pretty much. Even when they've been getting their butts handed to them. Yeah, I mean, you look like Matt Barkley was still a pretty good college quarterback. Uh, John I, David I, Booty I, was a good college quarterback. Those, those guys, uh, Sam Darnold yeah, those was a good college. Very- the, Sam, Sam Darnold, Darnold was was, de- good... was was decent, but those they're, were guys. I'm talking I'm about. Naming... I'm, hold on, hold on. Let me finish my point. Okay. My point is not just decent at the college level. I'm talking about real quarterbacks that go to the NFL and succeed, like guys that weren't just they they worked okay in a system. I'm talking about actual talented quarterbacks that that went on and showed, hey, this wasn't just playing in the Pac-12 or playing in some conference where it was very quarterback friendly play. Mason Rudolph was a good college quarterback. Well, I mean, what's your definition of success? Because I mean, you look like Mark Sanchez was a first round pick and went to two ACC championship or or AFC championship games. Like Caleb Williams is going to be the first overall pick. Carson uh, Palmer had a really good career. Is is an example of, hey, he's doing really well right now. And I think he projects very, very well. I think Carson Palmer is an example. They they have a lot of guys who have, Mark Sanchez had a long career in the NFL and was a first round pick and went to two deep playoff runs. I wouldn't call him a bust. I would yeah, also say yeah, that he was guys carried like, by a very strong defense. That, I, this is get I away mean, from my point. My because, point, but hang on the, the USC thing. When you're talking right. about quarterback, you, and I know we've got way far away from this point is just like Pitt hasn't produced a quarterback better than USC in the NFL. I can't think of the last time. Is it Pickett? I mean, that, and that's a whole other di- dude. Pen- Kenny Pickett has not had a good NFL career. So I, I was. Far. Are you just going to skip over? Da- like, if we're, because you went way Dan back. Dan Marino to, is. Okay, you went way back to Carson yeah. Palmer. So I'm like, if we're I'm saying USC from 2000 on has had consistent okay, yeah. quarterbacks in the NFL. But you literally had to go back to Carson Palmer and Mark Sanchez, which I went. Was like, I kept going. I literally we, we're going way too deep into this. Okay, my, my point is this. You can say you can say USC with a lot of guys that turned out to be nothing in the NFL. They were backups, career backups at best. But you look around, Oklahoma might be the closest thing as far as recent schools with Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and J- Jalen Hurts. But, but, but most of those guys were transfers. And you look across the board, nobody else can, can say that Ohio State doesn't isn't isn't QBU, Michigan isn't QBU, the big schools. Alabama, you could say, had successful quarterbacks, but like you said, they were winning. And it was more so, you know, Mac Jones, you throw him on you throw him on Pitt's roster. I don't think that they do all, all, all that all that well. I, I look around and I say, like, it is tough to recruit a quarterback anywhere and you have certainly friendly systems that make things work for for what they were rod rutherford had a very successful pit career he was not an nfl quarterback and you you knew that you knew that from watching him in college just like you knew a lot of those usc quarterbacks you named weren't going to succeed in the nfl yeah i I think more of just getting a quarterback in college and the reason i was like kind of heavy on that usc point is you go to places that are proven if you're a quarterback i mean i think I, i think a more attainable example for pitt because Pitt's never going to recruit the same quarterback talent that USC is. It's just that's sure. just not going to happen. Um, you look at someone like North Carolina in the in the recent years, where sure they they're not producing. I mean, they have May, who will be a first round pick this year. But in recent years, they've they've had guys that have consistently been solid players in college who get drafted relatively early or have decent careers in the NFL or something like that. You know, Mitch Trubisky was the second overall pick and I know he's a backup now, but he's going to have a long NFL career. Sam Howell starting, you go TJ Yates was 
a guy who had a career, things like that. Like Pitt, not really even producing like those guys. And I'm just saying, Nate Peterman's doing great. Yeah, <laughs> like, like what's up, saying? Like, just, well, like, I'm I, just saying. Well, I'm just saying. You look at that every year. It seems like North Carolina has a guy you would know is at least going to be a dependable player at that position. Where Pitt's certainly not even there yet. No, I'm not saying that Pitt is, but I'm saying that there's not. It's hard a, to do not, it, and. And I'm there's just, not a university that does it consistently. And, and the, the way universities that, that do assume. do it consistently, they're they're led by a coach that typically a is more offensive minded, and and b just have that history. You're gonna go you're gonna go to an offense that you see putting up points on Saturdays, and that's why you're seeing guys the four star the five star guys they want to go play for USC and Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia because those are the in Clemson because those have been the schools in the last five, 10 years that have been putting up a lot of points. And if you're not one of those schools, you're going to be a school like North Carolina who has a head coach like Mac Brown, who has consistently developed quarterbacks. Well, and if you're not in those two categories, you're going to be kind of like Pitt and you're going to be struggling to find someone else. Clemson can be on the verge of that. If they develop another one soon, it's not looking like they're doing right now, but, 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 but Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, they are two product products. But again, that that's that's two can they do it consistently and when i'm talking about a qbu i'm not talking about the occasional hit once every once every 20 years i'm talking about like how people can call certain schools rbu cornerback you wide receiver alabama's wide receiver you they put they print wide receivers it just it just happens over, over there a lot i think you know pitt late you know calls themselves rbu i think that pitt produces a lot of talented running backs but there's other schools that also have a claim to that but i'm saying there's not a there's not a a, a school that's like that's like that for quarterbacks in college football. I, I would still disagree and say USC is okay. QBU, but we can move forward <laughs> there. Right. I, just, I just think that that's... Mark Sand um, is the GOAT. No, but I mean, <laughs> they produce better quarterbacks than anyone else consistently uh, at the collegiate level, especially. Anyway, Mark wants to know. We get back. I don't know how we got into USC out of everything. I know I brought it up, but man. We, you brought it up. I did bring it up. But you asked the question, I brought it up, and that turned into a heated debate. Who about, did that? Mark Sanchez and John David Booty on the pit mailbag. I, I don't know how we got there, but I'm glad we did. You know, I'm trying to think of other USC quarterbacks. They always have good quarterbacks. Anyway, Mark wants to know if Pitt loses this weekend in West Virginia, or if it loses this weekend in West Virginia, would Pitt be better off cutting its losses early with Phil Dracovic and just starting Christian Veyer in his era now? Or Will he, he meaning Martin Narduzzi, I assume, make the same mistake as last year and stick with yeah, his guy? Carter, you want to start with this? Sure. Uh, here's the thing: if Phil is absolutely terrible, consider it. Like I, I think that you that you do take a look at it. But here's the thing: when you bench the quarterback that you transferred to your school to you know to to, to be the starter and, and and do these things, and you don't give them the chance to grow you're going to put yourself in a position where if the other guy stinks and then you're like, let's go back to the other guy. Now you're going to have a whole controversy on your hands. That's going to, that's going to grow into a bigger problem. I know everyone's looking back to last year and thinking, well, Nick Patty, Keaton Slovis, that was an obvious one. And look, I think that that, that was a very unique situation when you had a guy that was on the team for five years yeah. learning behind Kenny Pickett. And just, he knew, not only did he know what Pitt wanted to do on offense, he knew everybody on the offense. He knew the whole offensive line, the backup wide receivers, the backup. He, 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 Nick Patty was very unique in that situation. Christian Bayer, 
is not that. And there's a chance that maybe he is better than Phil Jakovic. But I think bailing on your guy, the first sign of trouble, is not what makes a good program. It's not what makes a good institution a good anything. you got to give time for things to grow. And I think I agree with Pat Narduzzi on this. He's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to point everything at Phil because Phil did make a ton of mistakes and we broke them down a lot over the weekend. But there's still a lot of room for him to grow. And there were things that weren't his, his, his fault entirely. So I'm not going to say that Christian Bayer won't, you know, his era won't be good or anything, but you got to give him a chance to respond. And, you know, West Virginia, if he's absolutely terrible and unusable, then you broach the question afterwards. But I think at least you give him this game unless he's just completely terrible and like, you know, less, less than 30% pass. Yeah. I, I just find it really hard to see a world where they make a quarterback change after three weeks into the season. If they didn't do it last year, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Pat Narduzzi hasn't benched a quarterback because he did. He, he he changed multiple quarterbacks in one season, and the final guy he played ended up being a starter for the next four years. But he'll 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 switch it up if he needs to. Last year, I think, was a unique circumstance for multiple reasons. For some reason, they did have this dying loyalty to Keaton Slovis for uh, for things I still don't really understand. Um, and But like Chris said, last year, this conversation made a lot more sense because there was a viable option behind Slovis. There was a guy who knew the playbook or who at least knew the team better than anyone else. I mean, it was a new playbook for him too, but he knew he knew the, the guys up front blocking for him. He knew the guys in the backfield with him. He, it wasn't a new thing for him. This is a new thing for Christian Bayer. Every challenge that he's facing is the same challenge that Phil's facing right now. They're both new on this team, and Phil knows the playbook better. So I don't know. I mean, and you could maybe make the argument that, sure, we might find out one day that Christian Bayer is a much, for a far more talented quarterback than Phil Dracovic. But at the end of the day, if he's not blowing him out of the water in practice, I, I don't see a reason to make a switch that early. And and I get it. The passing attack's bad. Maybe he can do something better. But you're 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 like what Chris said, if if Bayer goes out there and performs exactly how Phil Dracovic does, now you've not only screwed up this season, but you 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 screw up next season as well, where Bayer is gonna come in as the starter and people are gonna be doubting him because of what they saw for him last year. So that might sound like a bit of a, 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 a scared mentality to have, but it's, it's a delicate situation when you're shuffling this quarterback position around every single year that looks like they finally have a guy where they're going to have some st- stability at that position. And if you're willing to really commit to Christian Veyer for a whole year, you better hope that this guy's ready for it. Cause I don't know if he is. I mean, it's, it's an offense that, is taking some time for a lot of players to learn. And the guy who's most familiar with it is still struggling with it right now. So I don't know if that – it's a move that I think would just please a lot of people because they want to see that they're actually trying to change something up. But I don't know if that's the best move right now. I think you got to at least give Phil a couple more games, even after West Virginia, to figure it out simply because – he knows it better than everyone else. And if it continues to be this bad, then sure pun on the season and go with the younger guy and start building for next year. But I don't think you can do that until at least four or five games in final question of the day. Russell wants to know what are your thoughts on what Dracovic said about booing 
as two oh, people boy. who cover this team, do you feel as though what he said was okay? Chris, do you want to start with this one? <laughs> so here's the thing. In spirit, I actually agree with Phil Dracovic. I'm not a fan of booing unless you're booing like an official or booing like just to, you know, intimidate the other team. I, I've always been of the belief. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a dear listener and viewer. I'm not saying that you are ter- a terrible person. But just, just my perspective. If I go to a game to root on players, teams, whatever, I am going to cheer them on. If they do poorly, I'll be quiet and I'll just keep rooting for them to do better. I think maybe that's the attitude of a coach's son, but that's just how I'm wired. However, as Phil Jakovic, you you need to know that you cannot say that without expecting a lot of backlash and opening up a lot of doors to the people who do want to boo because they they are exist they exist. And again, I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you want to. That's how you want to express yourself at a game. You paid your ticket, you get the right to do so. So I understand what he's saying, and I I think you even saw some pit some some pit teammates agree with it by retweeting or liking the tweet. You know when we put that out there, uh, but. I, I also think that it's something that you can say internally. You can you can kind of be like, all right, well, that sucked. Let me just not say this thing here because he's not the first pit player to get booed in that in that stadium. There's a lot of them who have been booed. And uh, when you say it in just your second game that you played there and it's a tough loss and, and you say that you're going to open up a lot of criticisms and people who, you know, people who are going to who would normally support you when you start doing well. Uh, so. I think it's one of the things you, you don't want to say, but again, I'm I ain't like if, if if he and I were sitting down with a beer some someday and, and talking about that quote, thinking back on it, I'd be like, man, I feel you, but you knew you knew what was going to happen as soon as you said that said those words out your mouth. Here's the thing, man: it, it, college football, college sports, more than professional. I feel fans are rooting for laundry; they do not care. Absolutely, it, it's not it's not like in the pros where you follow a player for 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years, and that guy or girl just gives you an amazing, lifelong memories of games and everything. In college, your best-case scenario, I now guess with COVID, you get you have the opportunity to see guys for five, six years. But more often than not, your star player is there for two, three seasons, and then he's gone. And you have those memories, and some of those memories might be connected to championships and everything like that. But overall... You just want to see the product do well, regardless of who's doing it. And so I think a lot of booing for college sports, it's not directed at one player. I think it's directed at collective performance. I think that, you know, I, we saw boos last year. And I think a yeah. lot of the times Keaton or that offense will be booed is when they'd be throwing a screen pass on third and nine. Yeah. Or when they'd start off with just three runs right up the middle in the first possession of the game. Are, and who are they booing there? Are they booing Keaton for not Keaton Slovis for not making the throw? Or are they booing Frank Signetti Jr. for calling the plays? Or are they just booing because the ball's not moving toward the end zone? I don't know. I'm sure everyone has their different agenda. But case in point, I think what it comes down to is those people who are booing you, they just want to see you do well. It's not malicious. And it right. can be frustrating, and and it doesn't sit well with someone who's getting booed. I, I I'm fully cognizant of that, um, but I I do think that it's important for players to understand that when they're getting booed, it's it's not a personal attack on them. It's people who, when they wake up in the morning on a Saturday, the first thing that pops into their head says, "I I can't wait to go to this pit game." 
and they're looking forward to it all day, just like the players are looking forward to playing in that game. And when it's not going according to plan, they're just frustrated. And it's is it the most productive way to handle that frustration? Absolutely not. But that's what's going to happen when you have people spending their their time and their money and thoughts on this one specific thing, and it doesn't work out. So I think people need to be cognizant of that on both ends, that the players, it's not helpful for them, but I think the players also need to understand that, look, this is going to happen. And the way you react to this is going to say a lot. Keaton Slubis got booed, and he didn't say a word about it last year. I mean, I'm sure Kenny Pickett got booed at Pitt at some point in the 30 years he was there. You know, that stuff just happens. And for Phil to say that, he has every right to say that. And I, and I do agree to a certain extent that, you know, it, it's, yeah, I don't know it, that maybe you should evaluate your actions or not. I, I think it's, it's going to happen. I don't know if I would personally ever boo college athletes or anything like that, if I was a fan, um, but he was well within his rights to say it. But like you said, Carter, those comments put a lot more pressure on him. Mm-hmm. The next time Phil Dracovic plays a football game at Akershire stadium, Oof. it's going to be interesting yeah. because if he goes down to Morgantown on Saturday and leads Pitt to a win and what's going to be a crazy hostile environment over a rival, I'm sure fans are going to be happy for him and they might have his back. But if he loses that game, mm-hmm. if he loses Saturday after complaining about getting booed and then follows that up with a loss, you're coming into Acrisure Stadium one and two against Drake May. And if that's not a challenge enough, the fans are going to be ready to jump down your throat the first time you throw an incomplete pass. Yep. So I think my biggest critique of Dracovic's thoughts was, is this. It did not have a lot of forethought. It, it felt like he reacted emotionally in the moment, which college kids will do. But it probably it just put a lot more of attention on himself. Where moving forward, especially in the immediate future, he needs to be really good, or otherwise, the rain it's only going to keep falling harder on him. I agree. So, all right. Well, that was very long-winded. Uh, we talked about a lot. We fought about USC quarterbacks. <laughs> Um, I can Bombs, pretty much all of them. guarantee you that John David Booty <laughs> will never be brought up in a pit mailbag ever again. You wait and see. Yeah, we'll see. I don't. I so in 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 summary, um, Pitt's offense was bad. They need to be better. They need to be USC's offense. Boo if you want to, but it doesn't really help the players. Phil has a lot of pressure, and to be determined if USC. USC is quarterback you. That also, is the I'll, pit mailbag in a nutshell. I'll, I'll I'll say this on my final my final thought here. If you don't think that West Virginia fans see that and are going to as soon as not that they wouldn't boo Pitt for taking the field, but like I think like ironically, in a sense, at Phil Jakovic every time that he t- he takes the field, touches the ball. That will be something that might be something that their student section will try to uh play at all. all huh. But Phil said he likes that. That might be a little bit different. Yeah, it is. It's it's a lot different getting booed on the road than home. In the words of Reggie Jackson, fans don't boo nobodies. And and I think Fair when he point. said that, it's more just he was talking about Red Sox fans booing him, not not Yankees fans booing him, which I think that also happened. But again, we're getting off off point. Thank you to everyone who tuned into this whirlwind of a pit mailbag here. 
hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and keep tuning in to the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network for all of your Pittsburgh sports coverage. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.